Welcome to Product Pathfinders, a podcast where we learn to navigate through the world of product as two beginners sharing our knowledge and experiences while growing a career in tech. Hi, I'm Gemma, your co-host, a product person with a mixed background in both product management and product design. I'm passionate about the entire end-to-end process of building digital products and the strategies that drive the products we all know and love. Hey, I'm Chloe, your co-host, a designer experienced in marketing and branding across diverse industries. For the last decade, I've been on a ride fueled by creativity, curiosity, and a thirst for knowledge. Before we get into it, we need to mention that the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are of our own and do not reflect the views or positions of our current employer. I begin today by acknowledging the Turrbal people traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording today and pay my respects to the elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people here today. So before we dive into the heart of today's episode, uh, let's kick it off with a bit of fun and one of my favourite segments. A TikTok recommendation from each of us that may have zero or every relevance to something we're going to discuss today and in typical... Gemma style. Of course, my recommendation has no relevance to anything productive, <laughs> but I recently stumbled across this account called, I'm going to call it at Char Metals, and I'll add it in the show notes. And I just stumbled across her a few months ago, and I think it was one of her videos that went viral, but her regular content honestly has me hooked, not just the viral video that I found. And she's a jewellery designer, jewellery maker. But what's fascinating about her process to me is that she melds like really traditional processes in metalworking with modern technologies. So she uses different 3D modelling Um, to design it and then she prints them with the 3D printer and tests and gets people to like put on the ring, see what it feels like and then we'll do multiple designs and iterations and then goes into like actually making the thing. Um, So yeah and it's pretty cool because she goes through the whole process of like molding the gold and talks us through and she's pretty entertaining and why she does it and like what customizations but anyway I recommend finding her account and watch Anything to do with her custom engagement ring content is like my favorite. And she just talks about how she like merges like super old school techniques with modern technology. And then like she's holding this like piece of plastic ring that looks like it's came free with a Happy Meal. And then how she turns that into like someone's engagement ring. And it's super cool. It's like the modern Haribo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. Amazing. Thank you for that share, Gemma. So I'm sure my TikTok share will not surprise you, Gemma. Uh, You've most likely seen this person on TikTok already. It's Caleb Simpson. They have over 7 million followers and basically they go around different cities and countries asking random people on the street how much they pay rent and if they can have a house tour. And there are a number of reasons why I was so engrossed in these videos. But the main one was... This concept of going along on this tour and being like a fly on the wall in a stranger's personal space, just, it opens a whole can of worms and a library of inspiration. My main takeaway was just how considered and dedicated some people are with curating their spaces. Also, the unique and wonderful things people own and place value on. Anyway, go check them out. It won't disappoint, I promise. 
That's really cool. I Yes, I have seen his videos. Something you said before was that it's cool to have people explain it. Because even if I go to my friend's house, often I go, oh, that's cool. But they don't tell me like why they bought it. So it's a kind of a cool interaction to have people explain where they're living. I don't know about you. It doesn't – well, maybe they do talk about individual pieces, but you don't normally get a tour through this is how much I pay, this is what I value, and this thing is worth my investment, and this and get that angle. Yeah. In today's episode, we're going to discuss all things brand identities and discuss the differences between brand style guides and design systems. Gemma and I are working on a project together at the moment where we are looking to bring marketing and product closer together from a brand perspective and have more of a seamless visual identity experience. While we've been going through the process, we have thought that this was a super interesting topic and one which we should unpack more on the podcast. I do want to mention that in this episode, when we refer to brand style guides and design systems, we're not reducing what branding is defined by or represented by, as that could be a whole nother episode, as there's a lot to unpack there. Now would probably be a good time to discuss uh, the differences in our personal experiences between the two. So Chloe, tell me a bit more about your experience and your exposure to the topic. What, what actually are brand style guides? Brand style guides are, in their simplest form, a rule book or set of guidelines and specifications designed to be followed and considered to ensure brand consistency and integrity. They are typically in the form of a document or PDF or can even be housed on a website as pages or considered part of an extension to a design system depending on the company size and the types of teams working within an organisation. It is not really a one-size-fits-all when it comes to brand style guides. They can be anywhere from one page to 100 pages if we're talking about a PDF. Depending on how loose or strict the company needs to be when it comes to their identity or even the size of the company can and really does influence this. For example, companies like Adobe and National Geographic. They have really extensive brand guidelines. So brand style guides are typically used by designers or those who are working very closely with the visual identity of a brand. However, they can also be used by anyone in an organisation who is looking to get an overview of the brand look and feel or maybe seeking specific information like how do I use the logo or How do I find out what the brand colours are? They're just a couple of examples. So if we break it down to focus, components and purpose. A brand style guide primarily focuses on the elements, which are usually visual but can stretch across verbal, that represent a brand identity, ensuring consistency across all communication channels. When it comes to components, it can include things like guidelines for logos, colour palettes, typography, imagery, tone of voice and other elements that contribute to the brand's personality and visual identity. The main purpose of a brand style guide is to maintain brand recognition and create a cohesive brand experience. Before entering the tech industry and software space, my understanding of brand identity was very much built around 
this definition of brand style guides. I have also really been fortunate over my career to play a key part in redesigning a number of brand style guides. As a graphic designer, it's not often you would get these opportunities. On most occasions, they're only really ever created once or significantly changed every couple years and then just maintained and updated in between. It is worth calling out my foundations in regards to how I use to perceive this definition of what therefore was inclusive of a brand identity, was very steered towards what I learned through my studies and career up to a certain point. I think that providing that context is important as what I was taught 10 to 15 years ago doesn't accurately depict how things have changed and what the landscape is today. Right, so when you say it was very steered by your studies, what, what area of study did you, did you get this in and what led you to that opinion? Yeah, so I undertook a Bachelor of Design, so I majored in Visual Communication. I would say the course was structured around what was relevant at the time, as all things, right? This degree focused on theory and skills related to the design discipline and the role it played within society, particularly within a business context. So the subjects and assignments were centred around things like program learning, as in the Adobe suite when I say program learning, because that means something totally different today. Logo creation, website building, storyboarding, animation, life drawing, illustration, photography, typography, colour theory, packaging, collateral, so things like brochures and magazines, flyers, point of sale, apparel, merchandise. And then it also had an element of marketing, sales, presenting and pitching. I mean, all super valuable and useful things. Things have just changed a lot since then. I heard someone talking on another podcast about the skill of graphic design and how it used to be an art form which only those that studied design or knew how to use the programs were capable of executing. So therefore, it was like really sought after and in demand. A non-negotiable resource for a company, right? If there was an InDesign, EPS or PDF document which needed editing, everyone panicked, right? Unless there was a designer who could jump on it. Whereas these days... Design in general is a lot more accessible and there are a number of platforms like Canva which exist to reduce the barrier to entry by being super, super, super user intuitive and almost encouraging everyone to start creating and making what we like to call in marketing on-brand assets or content. That sounds like a lot of change over 10 years. If I reflect on everything you've just said, it's nowhere near or it could be a totally different discipline than what it was when you first first entered the space, which I think is really important to reflect on. So given that exposure to brand guidelines, where do design systems then in a technology company fit into your experience? Yeah, so my career and the roles I had prior to entering this field were usually centred around being an in-house designer and a brand manager, usually sitting within like a marketing team or the equivalent. I hadn't been exposed to the design field, speaking more broadly, having another definition or I guess another dimension within the product space. 
let alone working with product teams, period. I only discovered what a design system was only a couple of years ago. And I remember at the time I felt quite taken back and somewhat surprised that I hadn't really come across this terminology before, as it certainly wasn't something new. Not having worked in software before, for me, no one was talking about design systems in my professional network and creative circles. At the time, I remember feeling like it was something which must have belonged or thrived more in the tech space compared to other industries that I'd worked in. I actually looked it up to see, and apparently design systems first became popular back in 2016. Don't fact check me on that, but it does make me feel like slightly better that it only took me five or so years to find out and get up to speed. Jumping, jumping on a trend five years late. <laughs> anyway, I think this is a nice segue to pass over to Gemma. It'd be great to hear about your experience and background when it comes to design and brand identities. Yeah, my experience has also changed a lot over the past 10 years. I think I might take a step back and maybe explain my exposure to design in general. I've always been a creative person and those who know me know that I have a variety of hobbies that mostly include drawing and sketching and painting and generally creating art of any kind. I even went through a phase of creating short films and movies and trying to do digital art. And one day when I was younger, you know, you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. When I was in high school, I actually said I wanted to be a director. So that's a random segue, but it was just, how do I create something? And I didn't really know what media or platform or what tool I would use to get there. But I assumed that the only way I could be a creative person and actually make money turned into working in graphic design. I had a feeling I wanted to try web design. So when I was studying, I did a few subjects in actual development to learn to build websites as I found that apparently that would make me more desirable or be a more lucrative career. But I was actually terrible at it. Um, and I think there were still good foundations for me to learn from because it gave me an appreciation and understanding of how tech works. But I was definitely drawn to something that allowed me to be freer, that, did, that had less boundaries, and graphic design helped me do that. So most of my professional experience ended up being in sales though, which is really odd through one reason or another. I immediately after studying thought I was going to get a quick job to help me pay my bills and while I would build my design portfolio in parallel but I actually got exposed to some really amazing opportunities in that sales job that I just continued and I went on for four years in that company and I got amazing opportunities and exposure that I didn't want to turn down and before I knew it I was building this career in sales even though it wasn't the field I thought I'd end up being in and I never really revisited that design world. And that was when I fell into working in sales, but in the tech industry. And I learned more about how people built software. And I'd never had any exposure to that ever before. And also how people build software to make money and the profitability side of having a tech company and how you you know earn commissions and make money in, in a business. And before I knew it, I also ended up gravitating to hearing how that software was built and before you knew it, learning about how that software is designed. And I had a drastic career pivot and landed in UX for a number of years. And the more that I learned about UX, 
and this functional design, I think I actually would have picked UX as a career if I truly understood what it was at an earlier age. But both at the time when I was in high school, I don't think it seemed like an option or anyone knew what it was. It was just a buzzword even to me a couple of years ago and it wasn't a viable career. It was very much graphic design had become mainstream enough and that was kind of the only way to be a designer. Yeah. I remember literally sitting in the guidance counsellor's office in high school in grade 10 or 11, picking my subjects, picking the OP I needed, aligning it and literally picking like design as the outcome. Like there was, it was very black and white. You want to go into study or working in something creative, page nine, X, Y, Z job. That was like me too. That was how I got into graphic design, not because I don't even know if I knew it was a job. I just went, what am I good at and what do I really like? Earlier you mentioned UX. I mean, a lot of people within the design and product space know what that is. Although my friends and family often have no idea what I'm talking about when I mention anything to do with UX, UI. Yeah, it's a funny one because you're right. We drop it like it's casual lingo, but most people probably don't know what UX is. And I'll be honest, I'm convinced some people I have worked with in the past in tech still don't know what UX is. So let's go back to the basics. UX is shortened for user experience. So when we talk about user experience design, it's essentially designing the experience that a user, aka just a person, is going to have when using your product or service. So if I compare it to graphic design, if you are a graphic designer, you would typically work in a marketing department, like you've just mentioned, Chloe. You would be in charge of designing beautiful visuals for billboards, brochures, even maybe a TV ad or some digital media. And that would help shape the way that the public see your brand and what visuals you create about the identity of the company and the identity of maybe your product or service. And it's designing what messaging you're giving to your customers. And that's how you get them in the door, which is so important. But UX, on the other hand, and user experience design is about how your customers interact and designing their experience once they're in the door. So for some real world context, I wanted to apply it to an everyday scenario. I recently did some online shopping with ASOS. Love that for me. But if I were a graphic designer employed by ASOS, I would have designed the advertising campaign some of the beautiful visuals and maybe have had some creative influence over their photography campaigns or how they get turned into social posts or how you design the branding that gets marketed to your customers. But if I were a user experience designer employed at ASOS, I would have designed what tools and interactions were available on their website when actually buying a product and adding to cart. So that would be how I interact with the website the process for me to make a purchase, that would have all been designed by a UX designer. So the reason we have those roles separately is so that UX is specialised that as a user or as a customer, I can go into ASOS website and I can just buy a pair of jeans and I don't need an, an instruction manual to figure out how to use it. The experience is intuitive enough that I open the website, can find the jeans that I need can make a purchase and I also 
am targeted to get the best experience along the way that's designed well enough for me to figure it out on my own, but I actually have a positive experience that gives me more value than if I went to another another product or another service or competitor. Yeah, I think that's a really great uh, example that everyone can understand. So when gravitating towards the design in tech space, when did you first encounter or learn about design systems? So my exposure to design systems came working as a UX designer. So I was working in a UX team with multiple other UX designers and I had inherited, I would say, half of an existing design system. So it, And unfortunately, that design system wasn't really fit for purpose and that was at no fault of the designers prior, but someone had come into the business, started establishing a design system and then left the business and they had a really long period without something. So we kind of had the bones of something that almost was, but really wasn't. So to be honest, I'd say it was hardly anything at all, but it was just enough for us to continue maintaining as, as usual. And the design team I was a part of wanted to build a new design system rather than try to fix the old. We went, let's start from scratch. And I didn't really know what that meant when all the designers around me were like, yeah, we'll just start, we'll build our own design system and we'll do this and do that. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. And for me, a lot of it was self-education that I felt like I needed to get up to speed with what all of my peers were wanting to work on and I wanted to contribute because they were so passionate about this thing. So I did so many YouTube tutorials about Figma, honestly, and I spent hours, I'm not exaggerating, hours trying to get myself up to speed so that I felt like when I came to these meetings, I could contribute to the team and I could understand the value and how we could talk to and, uh, and manage a design system. So... I think it's important to reiterate that a design system is very fit for purpose. So it has a very direct purpose of building digital experiences for users to interact with. So I think that's really important that if you're not building a digital tool, I say tool because sometimes it is a website, sometimes it's an app, but if you're not building a digital experience for someone to interact with, that a person has to click a button through, you probably will never get exposure to a design system. So it kind of makes sense to me that in your marketing, if you're building branding and you're not building a tool, then you probably won't ever get exposure to a design system. And I say that a design system is a tool to build tools. So a design system really focuses on design elements that people interact with and how you can have a consistent experience as people are using what you've just designed. So things like buttons, forms, web layouts, templates, and it's designing a system full of tools. And once you have those tools, you gift those to your users and you define those patterns and you can keep reusing those tools across the entire experience. Once you nail the perfect button, you set up a design system so that that button can be used everywhere in the same way. If you work majority in print, you wouldn't need a design system because often things are once off or they're fit for purpose for one single goal. Um, and typically, let's say you design a billboard. Someone reads your billboard, but they don't touch it or interact with it. Like maybe they do, kudos if you can touch a billboard, but they don't interact with it and they don't use a billboard or a flyer as a tool. So you definitely get a lot more creative freedom when you're working in any digital print media or graphic design because you can kind of do whatever you want as long as it fits in brand and it is yours to own. But 
in UX, things do actually have a functional element and you probably have less creative freedom because you're building a tool and you're trying to build a system of tools and rules that helps a user use a platform. Yeah. I really resonate with the comment you made about creative freedom. I found over my career, especially while working as a graphic designer, it has always been more fulfilling without being so limited by so many rules. The idea of working for a company which really had strict and extensive brand guidelines was something I actively tried to avoid as I find ideation and playing a really important muscle to strengthen and practice. In saying that though, I also like having some rules in place so it's not complete chaos. But it's a balance, right? Testing the boundaries while staying enough on brand and keeping that look and feel enough so that people still have that brand familiarity. Yeah, and that's interesting because I think freedom is both freedom is both empowering, but it can also be anxiety inducing to go, you have so much freedom. So one of the things that I like with UX is they have like UX principles that it's like, do this, don't do that. But then how you do it, you have scope. So um, I see them as barriers or guidelines that there's um, laws of UX. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of them. And they'll go, these are patterns and they're actually more like psychology patterns, if that makes sense. And then you design an experience that aligns with those. But something like that doesn't even exist in graphic design. There are some rules, like in best practice, like fonts, um, typefaces shouldn't go below certain sizes from probably like more of an accessibility point of view. That's true. But people break them all the time. What happens? What's the consequences if you break them? Yeah, I feel like in the graphic design world, you break the rules often. I think the other thing too is worth calling out that we haven't said yet before I move on. When I design in UX, I design and I hand it to a developer and the developer builds that experience. Whereas in graphic design, it is just you. Like if you design a flyer, you design the concept and execute to production. Whereas if you're a UX designer, you design a concept and hand it to a developer to execute in production. So you are just a part of a bigger system, whereas often you have more control of the end-to-end process as a graphic designer because what you just designed is the end product. I think we should delve into what we're working through at the moment and the process of how we are going to approach breaking the walls down between brand style guides and design systems and why we believe it's important. For sure. Well, each of us are the respective owners of both sides of the coins. So Chloe is responsible for, I guess, owning branding and brand style guides across a company. Whereas I'm responsible for owning or designing a design system across a company to be filled with different design elements to go inside building a software application. One of the things we've been exploring is how we can merge these different philosophies and different tools that we use. So my design system is currently established in Figma, to be honest. I would physically cringe at the idea of building one in any other tool but Figma because they are light years ahead of any other competitor in the market. So it shouldn't be surprising to anyone that a design system is in Figma and I'll be a Figma stan until the day that I die. All of my design system components live in there and it's been built out following the atomic design approach, which I won't go into too much because we could probably do a whole episode on that. 
but at a high level. Atomic design is basically just an approach as to how you build out a design system. And a part of this, it's having components within components. So we have things such as typography, colour, icons, images, uh, subatomic components. And these may belong part of a design of a web page, but often the colours and icons perhaps need to align with the broader business strategy on the broader business brand and style, which happens to be the element that Chloe owns. So even though Chloe doesn't need to be responsible for designing a button, what we've been working on and researching is how maybe a design system in Figma could, what that would look like following our, again, atomic design approach that maybe there are some components that overlap that Chloe can build out her own branding elements like colour, font, and other visual identity, and she can keep owning that. But we structure our Figma system in a way that I can call on and rely on items that are brand specific that I need from Chloe, but I can also then layer and use those elements to manipulate things that I need that is app UX specific. It's definitely something that's continually evolving but I agree it's a project worth mentioning because when I speak to peers in the design world, any UX designer, product designer, I will mention here that I haven't said before, my previous title was product designer. And have I ever told you why that was the case? It's actually something that a previous manager at the time taught me and sometimes I think we can be a bit dogmatic about titles, but I really liked the reason is User experience, UX, should be everybody's job. We are all here to improve our users. And by me saying I'm the UX designer, it disempowers, say, a developer or a tester from thinking of the UX. And it's very much like, oh, is this a UX? No, get the UX designer. Product designer was more encapsulating of the end-to-end process of you design the product, but we all absorb some UX friction. So it sounds like, again, a bit dogmatic to get on the principle of things, but I was positioned as a product designer so that I wasn't boxed into just UX. There would be other elements that can be quite like a broader approach of the whole product. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah, so that's pretty powerful. So anyone out there who goes, what's the difference? It's definitely an industry trend to be a product designer because you get a bit more of a holistic look and ownership. I own the, the design of this product. And we all contribute UX. So this system and how we're working with branding and a design system is continually evolving. And it's something that's worth mentioning because when I speak to peers in the design world, these two systems are often built in silos. So when a graphic designer or someone in marketing goes about building brand guidelines, they design only what they need or want to use in marketing and then a UX designer goes and only designs and builds what they need to use in development. And often we don't think of or consider or see value in why they need to cross over. But to our end users, they have a single experience with the entire brand. They don't actually know when they log in that Chloe is the brand designer, that Gemma is the product designer, like that has no concept to a user. They have the same experience end-to-end. So if we take that into consideration, how do we support them to feel like they have the same experience end-to-end? And I think 
that the approach we've been experimenting with around merging our systems and we've been just playing with at what layer and what level they need to talk to each other. But having layers of ownership and dependencies and giving us accountability of you own this part, I own this part and when to call on each other, I think it's been pretty mature um, in a design space and forward thinking around functionally, I guess, around collaborating cross-functionally to ultimately build synergy, which in turn does have business outcomes. I mean, it reduces the cost and effort of design across the whole business. It's not around reducing the cost of UX or the cost of graphic design. It's just reducing the cost and effort of design across the whole business. Yeah, 100%. I'm so excited that we have this plan in place to co-design and house these facets of brand identity within Figma so that the so that in the future they can actually be of use across multiple projects and departments. The funny thing is, and I know you mentioned earlier you would have no reason really as a graphic designer to build a design system, but using this approach or process, regardless if you have a product team or work within software, I think there's actually so many transferable wins to take away from working and thinking in this way and to create efficiencies and work collaboratively and take control of a brand's visual DNA. That's a really powerful statement. And it's not like, it's not a marinade in that. <laughs> it's true though. So there are transferable, I, was, I thought you were going to say transferable skills and then you said transferable wins. And I was like, yes, yes, there are transferable wins that... I also have a greater amount of empathy for what your goals and your values are in branding. So if we go back to like wrapping up my key takeaways, thinking the style, the brand style guides, it, it gives someone an experience with your company and that's often the first thing that they see. And it, to your point earlier, I think you mentioned empowering others in the business to be able to have a bit of I was going to say creative freedom, but it's not. It's giving them the barriers of you can create your own brand assets in these rules. So it's like you're also giving people the tools in the business to build their own experiences, right? And I think taking that taking that on board and going, if that's the case, then coming back to a design system that someone would do a similar thing and build the tools that others, so other designers can then use to collaborate on. You know, I could own the design system and someone else works on. So in a way, but we both share the responsibility of owning a tool that other people need to be able to use yeah. and understand. And I can't see why we can't build our own tools to help other people, but build those tools cross-collaboratively that help each other. Yeah. I don't like this idea of being a bottleneck or like being a gatekeeper of design and brand and everything must pass through me. I like the idea of being able to empower more people across a company to create on-brand assets or on-brand collateral um, or touch points. And I think this way of us moving forward on this particular project embodies that. Yeah, that's fantastic because that's what the future of design is. You look at the industry trends around Canva, you mentioned right at the start of the podcast is that 
people have a platform to be self-empowered, they're going to do it anyway. Like we're at a stage now that we've kind of made these tools accessible. People are going to be able to make these assets anyway. They might as well do so with your guidance and your help. The same way that I'm going to be making my design system anyway, you're going to be making your brand guidelines anyway. So why not do it in a way that we can inherently and naturally kind of feed into each other? Yeah, you're setting them up for success. Yeah, and not bottlenecking. Love that. Yes. Thanks, Chloe. This is super exciting. I can't wait to see where we where we evolve with this. Thanks for listening to Product Pathfinders with Chloe and Gemma. We really appreciate you tuning into today's episode and thank you so much for your support. If you found anything valuable in today's episode, then perhaps others you know might find it valuable too. I'd encourage you to think of anyone you know or someone in your network who might gain something from today's advice and share this episode with them. We're super active on all social channels, so connect with Product Pathfinders on Instagram and TikTok. Our handles will be in the show notes and we can have some more regular conversations in between episodes. We'd love to hear what you think of today's topic and that's the best place to reach us. Send us a message and let's have a chat. Before you go, I do have one favor to ask, and that is the best way to support Product Pathfinders is actually by leaving us a five-star review, and that's so our advice can be easily found and become searchable by anyone on Spotify. So if you would like to give us a follow and a review, that'll really help us ensure that this advice goes to the right people. On that note, until next time, goodbye and happy podcasting.